reading from the epistle of St. Paul to the Romans. Brethren, we have gifts differing according to the grace that has been given us, such as prophecy to be used according to the proportion of faith, or ministry administering, or he who teaches in teaching, or he who exhorts in exhorting, he who gives in simplicity, he who presides with carefulness, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without pretense. Hate what is evil, hold to what is good. Love one another with fraternal charity, anticipating one another with honor. Be not slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Be patient in tribulation, persevering in prayer. Share the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of one mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but condescend to the lowly. Reading from the Gospel according to John. At that time, a marriage took place in Cana, at Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now Jesus, too, was invited to the marriage and also his disciples. And the wine, having run short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, What wouldst thou have me do, woman? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the attendants, Do whatever he tells you. Now six stone water jars were placed there after the Jewish manner of purification, each holding two or three measures. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said to them, Draw out now and take to the chief steward. And they took it to him. Now when the chief steward had tasted the water after it had become wine, not knowing whence it was, though the, though the attendants who had drawn the water knew, the chief steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Every man at first sets forth the good wine, and then they have drunk freely, that which then than that which is poorer. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This first of his signs Jesus worked at Cana of Galilee, and he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Praise to you, O Christ. So we celebrate this second Sunday after Epiphany. The tabernacle candle in the church burns this week for the intentions of Francis Locker. The tabernacle candle in the Adoration Chapel burns this week for the intentions of Mary Zika. The second collection today is for the church in Latin America. The annual baby bottle campaign that, that benefits the Women's New Life Clinic is this weekend. Please place envelopes in the regular collection. The checks can be made out uh, to the Women's New Life Clinic. We have a new system for automatic and online donations. Uh, a few of you were taking advantage of the one we had previously, but they closed up shop, and so we have a new one. Uh, we're going with our Sunday visitor, uh, who is also the ones who take care of our envelopes here at the parish. Uh, for anyone interested in doing that online giving or automated giving, you can do one-time donations or recurring donations uh, on there. You can go just to the parish website, and there's a button about uh, giving opportunities to be able to, to, to donate towards the regular collection, the building fund, these kinds of things. 
The Feast of St. Agnes, our patroness, is this Friday, January the 21st. We'll have two Masses offered that day, a 6 a.m. morning Mass as regular, and a 5.30 p.m. Latin Mass. Uh, the St. Charbel Healing Mass will be moved to Monday, January the 24th. The Louisiana March for Life, which marks the Supreme Court decision legalizing abortion in our country, is next Saturday, January the 22nd. I encourage you to look at the bulletin for more details in participating in that, in that march. And this Holy Mass is being offered for Billy Bell. On Friday night, I went to my nephew's confirmation over in Denham Springs. It was a wonderful celebration. And afterwards, I was able to enjoy some time with family. I was returning home, and it was a little after 9 o'clock, maybe closer to 10 o'clock. And knowing that the interstate, and they've been doing the, that uh, everything goes down to one lane from, from Sherwood to, to who knows how far uh, each night, uh, I decided to take an alternate route rather than just stare at the red lights that would be in front of me with the people's taillights. And so I was taking a route and, and went through, uh, passed through a neighborhood. And then, again, it was late, it was dark, and everything was, was rather dark around. All the, the house lights were off, except for this one place. It was right near a red light. And they were celebrating Christmas like nobody's business. They had the, they had the inflatable, inflatables in the front yard still. The, the, the lights were on in the house. They still had the Christmas trees. They had the, the lights in the trees. They had the, 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 the fancy little thing where it looks like snow is falling in your house and the lights, you know, kind of coming down. And it was just, it was the most glorious celebration of Christmas you'd ever see. In the middle of January, when no one else had anything up. And it was really striking to me. I couldn't help but smile at the, the joy of the, of the goodness of the, of the infant Christ continuing to be proclaimed when all else had presumably moved on very quickly, likely on, Jan- on December the 26th, taking everything down and, <clears throat> and allowing Christmas to be done and move on with life. But there's an important thing about this reality of continuing to linger upon the Christmas season. Christmas is not a thing that's simply to be sloughed off rather quickly. It's not something that we, uh, we kind of conclude and then we move on with life and, and just get to the next season, right? I'm sure at Walgreens and all the other stores, there's already, I'm, I'm sure there are already the February 14th you know, little heart things all over the place uh, and cute little bears out ready for people to buy because they've moved on from one, from one you know, money-making holiday to the next. But for us as Christians, it's important that we continue to reflect upon Christmas to reflect upon the fruits of the Incarnation, the great mystery of the Incarnation, of God coming down among us in flesh. Although we celebrate the second Sunday after Epiphany and we return to the green, uh, the green vestments, still Mother Church encourages us and invites us to persevere in these meditations upon the Christmas joy, upon the Christ child himself. This is the realities we see as you come in the church. Although the Christmas trees in the sanctuary are down, we still have the poinsettias, we still have the wreaths, we still have the garland, we still have the nativity scene that is up. And these are not simple because the altar society didn't have time this week to take it down. It's an intentional thing. It's for us to kind of ease out of the, of the season and continually to, uh, to, uh, to, to kind of squeeze the last fruits of uh, the, the, last, uh, the last little bit of this season of meditation, this contemplation of the Christ child. Mother Church also does this in a whole variety of ways. 
I think beautifully here in the traditional mass that we don't just change seasons so much as these green Sundays still are the Sundays after Epiphany. They're, they're still kind of connecting us to that season, to that holy season, to that 12th day of Christmas, the culmination of things. It's these days also that are given to us as we recognize that traditionally the Vatican would keep their nativity scene up until February the 2nd, the end of Christmas tide, the 40 days celebrating the infancy of our Lord, the presentation or Candlemas, uh, the purification of our Blessed Mother here in the traditional form. Uh, these feasts are, are meant to be the, the last feast of the Christmas season in a sense, the last feast of Christmas tide, reflecting upon these things. And it's to recognize that we're still in this. We're still in this holy season. We do this also liturgically, this, this continued reflection and slow meditation, pondering things like Our Lady, as in Compline, in the prayers of Compline every single night, at the conclusion of Compline, there's an antiphon sung to Our Lady. Most of us are familiar with the Salve Regina, is the most common, but there are three others that are sung, and they're all sung seasonally for a specific time. During the first, from the first, uh, from the first Compline of Advent until February the 2nd, we sing the Alma Redem Torres Mater, a sort of church, uh, church uh, encouragement to recognize that, that, that the season, that this is kind of a complete time of reflecting upon the mother of the Redeemer, upon the fact that Christ has come to us as a little child. This is part of the liturgy of the church. So too, we recognize that this feast, uh, this, this Sunday, that we celebrate is also uh, the reading that we've just heard from the Holy Gospel is a reading that necessarily ties us to the Christmas season. Some might think that beginning on, on the, the Green Sunday that you start off chronologically and you just pick up with our Lord's first miracles, and that's a good place to start. You know, so it's early in, the, early in St. John's Gospel, only chapter 2, right after the prologue, and a, and a brief mention of a few other things, but, but quickly we can get to work about his earthly life. But this is not exactly the case. The feast that we celebrate, the feast that we contemplate today in the feast of Cana, is something that still has strong Christmas overtones if we understand our, lit our liturgical uh, life well. A couple of weeks ago, uh, well, maybe not a couple of weeks ago, just on the 6th, uh, some days ago, uh, we celebrated the Feast of the Epiphany of our Lord. On the Feast of the Epiphany, it was tr traditionally understood that, that there were three mysteries that were to be contemplated that day, and the liturgy itself speaks of these things. The liturgy speaks of these three mysteries, these three revelations, the first of which is, of course, the three wise men, the magi, who come bearing their gifts. It's the magi who come, and it is humanity uh, revealing something about this child. They can bring their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, gold for a king, frankincense for a, for a priest, and myrrh indicating that he was born simply to be able to die, his mission to be able to be a savior of humanity. So this is the first revelation that is given, the first manifestation of the Lord, of God, of God in his glory and flesh. The second is that of the baptism of the Lord, another feast that was celebrated in recent days, a feast that, in which it was not humanity that proclaimed uh, the Son of God, but rather it was God himself, the Father who spoke from the heavens, this is my beloved Son, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. And then the Spirit descended, as descends upon him in the form of a dove. 
The second, that second revelation, that second mystery tied to the Epiphany then is one in which the Father and the Spirit reveal something about the Son, reveal who He is, that He is not simply a man like any other man, but He is truly a Son of God, and that the, the, the sign given to John the Baptist uh, of the Anointed One was the sign of the Dove, that the Holy Spirit would come upon Him. And so it's these things that are revealed that Christ that God is, that Christ is God, and that he has come as our Savior. The third mystery that was always contemplated, you may be connecting dots by this point, is the Feast of the Wedding of Cana. It was that third mystery that was often tied with the revelations of Epiphany. This Epiphany feast is a revelation wherein it is not humanity that reveals something about Christ, it is not the Father and the Spirit who reveal something about him, but it is he himself. As he begins his mission, as he begins his, his earthly mission and works his first miracle in the sight of the crowds who are present there in a veiled way, but still a present way, it is there that he reveals himself. He reveals his own mystery. And for this, we understand this, that the wedding feast at Cana truly is for us an opportunity to contemplate more of this mystery of who is the child who has been born to us? Who is this child in the nativity scenes that still remain in so many places? And to contemplate the glory, the mystery of this, of this, this little one given to us. St. Augustine reminds us of the number of, of the stone jars. Always again, it's important for us to remember that the, the, when we hear details in the scriptures, it's never because they were just trying to find filler. As we said, St. John says at the, end of the, at, the end of his, at the end of his gospel, he says, if we, if, we conclu- if we had all the things that our Lord said and did, the whole world would not be able to contain the books thereof. And so there were no shortage of things that could be said of what our Lord said and what our Lord did, what he did. But the fact is that these things are included in part to be able to show that they are historical things, that it was not in a land far, far away in a time long, long ago, and some vague sort of fairy tale. It was in this place at these times, these people were the rulers. Here are the number of things. Here are the other people who are present. And so it gives a historical accounting that this is factually true. So that's a good starting point. But then also is to recognize that St. John is writing probably 50 plus, probably closer to 70 years after the death of our blessed Lord. And so he's had a good long time to contemplate the things that our Lord said and the things that our Lord did. And so it's the, the fact of St. John's gospel is a, a more theologically complex and theologically rich gospel on that account. He's had a whole lot of time to chew upon these things and to recognize what at first he took on, he took on, on a surface level that now, years and years later, decades later, he understands that there was something far, far greater at work that at first they were simply oblivious to. On the surface, one may look at this story and have a, a simple takeaway, that if you invite our Lord into your life, then he will watch out for you. He will bless you. He will take care of you. And this is true enough. If this is what we gain from the wedding feast at Cana as a moral for the story, it is a good one. But there is something also more. St. Augustine reminds us again of the six stone jars that are present there. He reminds us that it was in the sixth age, the sixth age of humanity, that our blessed Lord took on flesh. 
And the fact that as he goes to this wedding feast, uh, a wedding is, uh, of course, uh, one of the, the primary ways that God is, is shown in, con- in connection with the people of God. Uh, very often our Lord is described as a bridegroom and the people are the, are the, the unfaithful bride who continue to go off and, and fall into sin and follow false gods in these kinds of things. So there's this strong bridal imagery all throughout the Old Testament of God and his people. So it's appropriate that our Lord is at a marriage feast. He's at a wedding, a place that, that prefigures the, the heavenly joy that he's come to bring. So it's at a heavenly feast that they have these six stone jars, and they're empty. There is nothing in them, because there was nothing before the coming of our blessed Lord except expectation, waiting, longing, looking forward for the one who would come and to bring life back to humanity. Without him, there was nothing. There was no hope. One would simply enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. That's all. There's nothing more to look forward to. But with Christ, he comes to fill. He comes to be able to fill with something new, to do something new. St. Augustine also reminds us that it was on the sixth day that humanity was created, the crown of creation, according to the Scriptures. And it was on that sixth day that God took dust and brought it to life, to give it not only uh, to give it uh, human life, not just to not just to breathe an earthly life, but to give it spiritual life, an immortal soul, breathed simply from dust. These things are to be called to mind as we recognize those six stone jars that are present there, that there was nothing in them, and yet Christ comes to bring life, and not just life, but the best of life. The best of wine is a symbol and a sign of this that God has something far greater than we might expect or anticipate, being able to bring from nothing the greatest of wine and from dust, humanity itself. These stone jars are present there as these reminders of, of our Lord from the beginning, that he is the one who created all of these things, that he is the maker of us. And not only is the maker of us, he is the one who has come to redeem us, to save us. He invites us to, to join in this labor the own work of our salvation. I was reminded after the last Mass that, uh, that uh, the, in, the, in the Scriptures, it, it says that there were two or three measures of water. The measures that they're talking about are nine gallons apiece. Uh, so in the, 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 in most, of your, most of your contemporary translation translates it to gallons, uh, 20 to 30 gallons apiece, these jugs. If you try to hold up a gallon of water for a little while, it gets a heavy. If you hold up a stone jar of 30 gallons of water, which is probably, I don't know, 300 pounds? That's a lot. It's a lot of work. But the people drawing into this work, the Lord draws the people into this work and is able to to be able to, to draw us to himself. He's drawing us together with Our Lady, of course, to salvation. As he invites us to come, he invites us to be able to experience the joy of the wedding feast. It takes part, it takes work on our part as well, of course, for us to be able to do some jar lifting and water filling from time to time. But it's for us in the end to recognize the abundance of what he gives, that if we are willing to follow after him, we have salvation. That if we're willing to do a bit of work in this life, then there is something far more than we could ever even ask that awaits us. Heaven, heavenly joy, This is what our Lord is revealing, is he's coming to do something new in humanity. 
He's coming as the bridegroom to take the bride to himself. He's coming to be able to breathe new life and to fill us who are empty and filled only with our sins and to be able to fill us with his grace, to fill us with immortal life, eternal life. Also, it's striking to us that as we have this, as we have this story as it unfolds, he comes and he gives this abundance of wine at what we can presume safely, I think, is the conclusion of the feast or nearing the end. Certainly our Lord brings a few disciples along with him, but they would not have been so many as to drink so much wine that, t- that they ran out halfway through. And the family, the company, would likely have anticipated the crowds who were present there and prepared enough wine. So it's likely towards the end of the feast, as they're coming, and people are kind of wrapping up, maybe a few stragglers are, are, you know, are starting to, to, to get back to their homes if they live a little ways away. They've got to get, they've got to get back. But we can recognize that here at the end of things, when it's wrapping up, our Lord gives 100 and 150, let's put it in the middle, 150 gallons of wine. And I don't care how big your party is, you're not going to be able to finish that in such a short time. It's just not reasonable. And here too is the fact of the salvation of our God, is that his grace is not something that will ever be emptied again. When Christ comes to give us, when he gives to us every single Mass in the, in the Eucharist, when he comes to give us in the sacraments, uh, when he comes to give us by virtue of actual graces given to us all throughout the day, these are things that will never run short. They will never be empty again. There will always be more. There will always be a, an abundance, a superabundance. The grace of God truly is infinite. And it's this that he holds out to us a grace that we can come and drink from deeply again and again and again in Holy Mass, in our prayer, and in so many other ways, and to know that it is His life that He has given to us. It's the best. It is far beyond what we ourselves could have even provided, mere water. He gives us the wine of His own life given to us in the sacraments. This is the great mystery that we celebrate This is the mystery we're called to continue to contemplate, that the one who has come among us as a little child is, in fact, all of these things. He is bridegroom. He is Savior. He is Son of God. He is one whose abundant love for us will never fall short, will never be empty. It is always present for us. It is us to do the work of lifting the jars and allowing them to be filled, that we might be able to open ourselves to His grace to live lives of virtue, to follow after him, and to look forward to the wedding feast that awaits.